Let's pray. You have said, O Lord, seek my face, and our hearts say to you, your face, Lord, do we seek. Gracious God, we desire to behold you in your glory. And we desire to hold, behold your Son, who is the radiance of the glory of God. We yearn for that day when we will see him face to face. But in this earthly life, we pray that we would get a taste and a glimpse of the glory that will one day be ours to behold. We pray that even for this moment, Lord. And we pray it in the name of your Son. Amen. When you're on the farm and you wake up early to start your chores and you make your way up to the barn before the sun has risen, what's one of the first sounds that you hear? Well, if you have chickens, just as the morning light begins to brighten the eastern sky, you hear the sound of the rooster's crow. It's almost as if the roosters of this world have been appointed by God as the heralds of the new day, announcing to the world that the sun is indeed rising. You could say that the roosters of this world seem to have taken the words of the 108th Psalm very seriously. My heart is steadfast, O God, I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. Roosters certainly seem to awake the dawn. In a similar vein, I remember that in my younger years, when my father and I would go turkey hunting, we would wake up well before the sun had risen, and we would go out to the back 40 and hide ourselves along a fence row. And about half an hour before the sun rose over the horizon, the birds of the wood would raise their voices with one accord and celebrate the coming of the new day. The whole forest would be filled with bird song, and then all of a sudden, once the sun had risen over the horizon, they would stop their song and they would go about the business of the day. It was always a blessing to be in the midst of all that music and then to feel the warm rays of the morning sun. I mentioned the rooster and I mentioned the birds of the wood because this morning we'll be thinking about John the Baptist. And like the rooster and like the birds of the wood, John the Baptist's purpose in life was to announce the rising of the sun. John the Baptist's role in God's great plan was that of the herald, that of the prophet. John was to go into the wilderness and with his voice announce the coming of a new day, the dawning of a new age, the arrival of the sun. And then once the sun had risen, John was to fade into the background and allow the sun to fill the world with its warmth and light. As we read in the word of God this morning, when John the Baptist was born, his father Zechariah was mute. He couldn't speak. He was unable to speak because God had made him mute when he questioned the message that the angel Gabriel had brought to him. But eight days after his son John was born, Zechariah had his mouth opened by God and he was filled with the Holy Spirit to proclaim a great prophecy. Zechariah proclaimed the great things that God had done and was doing. Zechariah prophesied over his son John, making it clear that John would be a great prophet who would prepare the way for the Lord. And then, at the very end of his prophecy, 
Zechariah proclaimed something great that would happen in the future. In verses 78 and 79, we find these closing words of Zechariah's prophecy. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah speaks the word of God and announces that God's Son will rise from on high and cast his light across the world, giving light to those who live in darkness and in death, lighting the way into peace. One thinks perhaps of that first warm day in springtime, when the sun sheds warmth and light onto the dark, frozen world, melting the snow, bringing forth buds and shoots, bringing forth new life. It's usually a joyous day because it signals the end of a long, dark night of winter. Through Zechariah's words, God is painting a picture for us. It's a picture of the sunrise, the day spring, the morning sun, the morning star, rising on a dark world under the shadow of death, and by its light casting away darkness and death, illuminating the pathway into peace. One could summarize Zechariah's words with this one sentence. Praise God, he is sending his light into the world to save us from darkness and the shadow of death. I'm going to say that again because I think it summarizes the point of Zechariah's prophecy well. Praise God, he is sending his light into the world to save us from darkness and the shadow of death. Now, just to be very clear, this light, this sunrise that God is sending into the world is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's helpful that in English, our word for the heavenly body in the sky that warms and brings life to the world by its light sounds the exact same as our word for that divine body who warms and brings life to the world by his love. The rising sun, S-U-N, is also the coming sun, S-O-N. The last prophetic words that are spoken before Jesus is born into the world are those of Zechariah. Zechariah is announcing the coming of the Lord Jesus when he says, The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. There's no doubt that St. Luke gives us the account of John the Baptist's birth and then the words of Zechariah right before he gives us the account of the birth of the Lord Jesus. He's doing this to show us that this rising sun that Zechariah is talking about is, in fact, the son of Mary, the son of God, Jesus. Now, as we consider the birth of John the Baptist and the words of his father Zechariah, it's worth spending some time thinking about what you might call the backdrop of darkness and death. Zechariah counted himself as amongst those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, which is why he so joyously celebrated the light that comes with the rising of the sun. In his prophecy, Zechariah thanked God for redemption, salvation, mercy, deliverance from enemies, promises kept, liberty to worship rightly, and the forgiveness of sins. All of this, of course, assumed that Zechariah, his people, and indeed the people of the whole world, needed to be redeemed, saved, shown mercy, delivered, liberated, and forgiven. The story that St. Luke is telling us assumes that the world is in darkness, assumes that the world is in need of salvation and redemption. It assumes that the world is under the shadow of death. In this Advent season, one of the hymns that we sing over and over again is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We sang it last night. 
One of the hymns of the one of the verses of the hymn goes like this: O come thou day spring from on high and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. The ancient writer of the hymn was picking up on the words of Zechariah and praying that God would send the day spring, the Lord Jesus, into the world to disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. This, dear friends, is a profound way to understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Jesus is the rising sun who comes into the world to cast away darkness and death. He's the rising sun who comes into the world to cast away the darkness and death that exists within our own hearts. And so like all good presentations of the gospel, we have the diagnosis of the problem on the one hand and then the offering of a solution. The problem is darkness and death. Darkness is a catch-all term for all that is wicked, evil, sad, and miserable. The experience of sitting or living in darkness, which Zechariah talks about, is well described by the psalmist in Psalm 88. The psalmist says, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Psalm 88 is perhaps one of the darkest chapters in the whole Bible. Darkness includes all of the tragedies and sadnesses that happen around us. War, poverty, the destruction of creation, violence, injustice, broken friendships, broken families, lost employment, the loss of loved ones, physical pain, and so on. But darkness also includes those tragedies and sadnesses that afflict us from within. Things like anxiety, fear, depression, sadness, doubt, meaninglessness, apathy, self-loathing, confusion, loneliness, restlessness, rootlessness, and lack of love. Living here on Prince Edward Island, we are privileged with the rest of the modern West to live in a relatively peaceful, comfortable, healthy, and affluent place. And yet with all of our political, technological, economic and organizational achievements, the darkness is still creeping in. The darkness continues to loom over and pervade human life. More and more we're being told that we are dealing with a mental health epidemic. COVID-19 seemed to make all of that worse. More and more voices are discussing the so-called meaning crisis, trying to address the pervasive lack of meaning and purpose in people's lives. Birth rates are going down. Young men and women often say that they don't want to bring children into a world like this. The government of the United Kingdom appointed a minister of loneliness to their cabinet in 2018 in an attempt to address the increasingly profound problem of loneliness in the UK. With all of our progress, the darkness still creeps in. These are just a few of the societal problems that reveal the present darkness. Now, Zechariah did not only prophesy about darkness, but also about the shadow of death. The diagnosis of our spiritual condition that the gospel offers us has to do with the fact that death is constantly looming over us. We live under the curse and inevitability of death. 
In a certain sense, our lives are haunted by the fact that we'll die and that everyone around us will die. This is what they call the perfect statistic, one out of every one people die. Once again, our living in the modern West means that we deal with death less than any other group of people in human history. Many of us have never seen a dead body, let alone been with someone as they've died. Our dead are dealt with by professionals, and many of us avoid staring death in the face at all costs. It seems like we're trying as hard as we can to avoid having to deal with the reality of death. That said, one also has to admit that we have a paradoxical relationship with death. On the one hand, we avoid death, but on the other hand, we live in a society which is increasingly capitulating to the force of death. Increasingly, we live in a society which is promoting death as an answer to a range of problems. In Canada, we have increasingly had to deal with issues concerning life and death. Chief among them, so-called medical assistance in dying, abortion, increasing rates of suicide, and what they're now calling deaths of despair. More and more these things touch our lives and lengthen the shadow of death over our lives. No matter how hard we try to avoid, sanitize, reword, rework, or organize death, it still reigns its ugly head and touches each and every one of our lives. And so this, dear friends, is the bad news. We sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. What then, we may ask, is the good news? What's the solution? Or to continue on with the metaphor, is there any light in this darkness? Well, Zechariah tells us that there is. And John the Baptist, the great rooster and songbird of the Lord, will dedicate his whole life to proclaiming that there is indeed light in the midst of darkness. And so the good news is, yes, there is indeed light in the midst of darkness. The Son of God will rise on this dark and deadly world and fill it with warmth and light. The darkness will flee and death will be no more. This is the good news. There is light that will dispel the darkness. Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we have the diagnosis of the problem. We sit in darkness in the shadow of death, and we have the solution, Jesus, the risen sun, the light of the world. Now, when we're using metaphorical language like the risen sun and the light of the world, it's easy to be vague and not actually drill down into the underlying realities. I don't want to do that, so let's get very clear about what all this business about the sunrise and the light of the world actually means. First of all, when Zechariah referred to Jesus as the sunrise, he was recognizing that Jesus' coming into the world was the dawning of a new age. More specifically, Jesus' coming into the world marked a new age of blessedness and victory for the people of God. I'm sure that many of you, if not all of you, have read C.S. Lewis's famous book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. At the beginning of the book, Narnia was frozen in a perpetual winter. And it was frozen in a perpetual winter because it was being ruled over by a wicked witch. Right? She, bought, she brought cold and darkness. If we think to the Old Testament lesson, what does David say on his deathbed? A good king will be, bring warmth and light. However, uh, the people of Narnia hold on to a great hope that they have. They hold on to a prophecy. And the prophecy goes like this. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we will have spring again. 
And indeed, when Aslan, the great Christ figure in the line, the witch in the wardrobe, comes, as he begins to move back into Narnia, the icy grip of winter begins to loosen and springtime comes again. Well, along a similar vein, Jesus' coming into the world meant that God was inaugurating a new age in which he was going to establish his kingdom on earth, and by so doing, redeem his people, deliver them from their enemies, fulfill his promises to them, set them at liberty to worship him, and indeed save them. And so we right here, right now, live in this new age. We live in this newly inaugurated age. When Zechariah was prophesying, he was looking forward to the coming of the risen sun. But we look back on the coming of the sun and recognize that we live in the age of the risen sun. We live in the expanding kingdom that God inaugurated all those years ago. As we speak, God is redeeming his people, delivering them from their enemies, setting them at liberty to worship and saving them. And of course, the physical manifestation of all of this in the world is the church. Look around you. Each and every one of you is a physical representation of God's kingdom. Proof that God is setting up his kingdom on earth. We live in an age of the risen sun. And day by day, year by year, century by century, millennium by millennium, the Holy Spirit is drawing people to the light and they're flocking to the light and entering into the kingdom of God. And as this kingdom grows, the darkness is pushed back and death flees because Jesus, the sunrise, the light of the world, is our head and our champion. Hell will not prevail against the gates of the church because all the dark powers of hell will not prevail against the risen sun, the Lord Jesus. And so, be of good courage. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This, dear friends, is the great age of the church, the age of God's inaugurated and expanding kingdom. For those of you who have been found by Jesus, you can say with boldness these words of the Apostle Paul, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. My dear friends, it is a good and glorious thing to live in this age of the risen Son. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he is ruling and reigning over the world by and through the Holy Spirit. And by his Holy Spirit, Jesus is building up his church, his kingdom, in all the far-flung corners of the earth. We are a part of this great unfolding story. We are a part of this great age in the history of salvation. It's easy to become depressed about the church if you read the news. But if you read the Bible, you'll get encouraged, right? Because Christ is still the head of his church. His kingdom is still expanding. When Zechariah spoke these words, he didn't even know Prince Edward Island existed. But yesterday when Tierra and I drove over to Victoria-by-the-Sea, we must have seen, what, like 20 little white churches <laughs> sprinkled all over the countryside, right? God is building his kingdom. Now lastly, I want to mention one more significant meaning behind this idea of Jesus being the sunrise. Look with me at verses 76 and 77 of our text. In these verses, Zechariah has turned to his son John and is recognizing the great calling that God has put upon John's life. Zechariah said to his son, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. And if we, are to keep, if we were to keep reading on, 
uh, in Luke's gospel, we would read about John in his adulthood and public ministry in chapter 2. And we would see that John, John the Baptist, was always focused on this issue of sin. He was focused on repentance away from sin, turning away from sin, and he was also focused on preparing people for the forgiveness of their sin. This was the primary way that John prepared folk for the coming of the Son. He made them cognizant of their sin and he made them conscious of their deep need for forgiveness. This was the preparatory, preparatory work that John did. This was the preparatory work that he did for the Son who came to die a sacrificial death for the sins of the whole world so that we might live in the joy of forgiveness. Now the greatest darkness in the world is sin. Sin is what brought death into the world. Sin is the great destroyer of human flourishing. Sin is what grieves the spirit of God. Sin is what alienates us from God and cuts us off from the source of life and joy. And so the good news about the risen sun is only good news if it deals with this, the greatest darkness. Right? If the light of the world doesn't affect the greatest darkness of the world, then it's not really good news. But the good news is that the risen sun does affect the deepest darkness. It does have something to say about sin. When Jesus came into the world, he fulfilled that beautiful prophecy of Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. The Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Jesus rose and so forgave all sin and brought healing to a sin-sick world. This is beautiful good news and it should cause us to rejoice. But I want to take this good news and I want to take it even deeper, make it even more personal. I want to deal now with what the old Puritans used to call experiential or experimental religion. I want us to think together about how this good news of the risen sun touches upon the deepest recesses of our hearts. In the book of 2 Peter, the apostle Peter is writing to a church which is being persecuted and being harassed by false teachers. And in the midst of reassuring his friends about the reliability of the scriptures, he writes this, chapter 1, verse 19. And we have a prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This one verse gives us two ways that the good news of the risen sun impresses itself upon our hearts. First, the word of God is light in the darkness. The light of God is shed into our minds and hearts when we hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest his word. The word of the Bible, as the Apostle Peter wrote, is a lamp shining in a dark place. Now, I know it's not surprising for your minister to tell you that you should read your Bibles more. And I can promise you now it'll be a broken record. You should always read your Bible more. But what I want us to see here is that Peter is talking about the word as light in darkness. And so if you're going through darkness, if there's darkness in your heart, one of the beautiful ways to shed warmth and light upon that dark place is to read the word, right? And the word will shine light into that dark place, right? Your word is a lamp under my feet. And also, as we've been doing last Sunday and now this Sunday, it's good to read the or sorry, to sing the word, right? We're going to sing the Benedictus, Zechariah's song later. That's a Good way to mix it up, but still get the word into your hearts. 
And so that's the first way the word brings light. And second, there's this experience that Peter refers to as the rising of the morning star in our hearts. First off, I just think that's beautiful language, the rising of the morning star in our hearts. This phrase, morning star, is a reference to Jesus himself. In the book of Revelation, Jesus refers to himself as the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. What we might ask then, does it mean for the morning star to rise in our hearts? Well, here it is. The Lord Jesus resides within our hearts and is present to us by his Holy Spirit. Every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus and draws us into deeper and deeper fellowship with Jesus. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is always to have Jesus loom larger and larger in our hearts. But here's the thing. As our regard for Jesus grows, he pushes out other things that have been residing in our hearts. As our affection for Jesus grows, our affection for sin decreases. As our confidence in Jesus grows, our confidence in ourselves decreases. And as the fear of the Lord grows in our hearts, the fear of all other things fades away. It's what Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection. As we grow in our affection for Jesus, it pushes out our affection for other things, our affection for sinful things, right? It's a way of talking about the morning star rising in our hearts. As the light and warmth of Jesus fills our hearts, it pushes out the darkness. And of course, the result of all this is that every aspect of our lives is eventually touched by the light and warmth of Jesus. Even those miserable aspects of our life can be touched by the light and warmth of Jesus. Even our suffering, even our persecution, even our sadness can be touched with the light and warmth of the Lord because he's risen and lives within our hearts. At the end of this service, we're going to sing that great old hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We, un- we Adore Thee. God of mercy, God of love, hearts unfold like flowers before thee. Right? Cast away the clouds of sin and sadness. Right? That's what that hymn is describing. Our hearts, by the grace of God, are able to open like a great flower before the Lord. And the gloom and the darkness is cast away when Jesus resides in our hearts. And that's my prayer for you. I hope you know what that feels like. You almost have to speak in metaphorical language to talk about it, but... My deep prayer is that the morning star rises in your heart every morning. Jesus, morning star. So John the Baptist was born to be a herald of the rising sun. And like a good rooster or a good songbird, he used his voice to announce the coming of the sunrise, the coming of a new day. This sun that John heralded heralded, would cast away darkness and death, bringing light and warmth to individual souls and indeed to the whole world. We now live in this new age. Jesus was born, he died, and now he's risen. His kingdom is expanding through the world, and his sunlight is rising day by day in the hearts of millions of souls. And I don't know about you, but I think that's terrifically good news. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the bright morning star. You're the day spring from on high. You're the sunrise which has risen on a world filled with darkness and death, and you have cast away darkness and death. And Lord, we're thankful that you haven't just done that in the world, but you've also done it in our hearts. And so we pray that we would day by day rejoice in that good news. And Lord, when we're tempted to despair because of the darkness, when we're tempted to despair and become despondent in the face of death, 
I pray that we would remember you, the light of the world, and that we would follow you, and by following you, be free from darkness and receive the light of life. Lord Jesus, I just pray very practically that by your spirit you would make all of us so happy because of this great news. Lord, we have all private sorrows that we're thinking through. We have difficulties that we're thinking through. But I pray that you would touch our lives with your light and bring happiness instead of sorrow and great hope instead of despair. We pray all of these things for your sake, Lord Jesus. Amen.